Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Today we have something a little bit different. Um, we're going to share a message that is titled, What a Blessing, What a Blessing. I'm, I hope and I pray that at some point in 2023, you got to experience the goodness and the blessing of God in your life. You got to see how God has been a blessing in your life. And, and I hope that you could give testimony to that, testimony in that. Look what God has done. Look how God has spoken. Look how God has shown up in this last year. May those moments be milestones. May they be, may they be mem- um, uh, memorial stones in your lives to move you forward into 24 of if God did this before, he is more than able to do it again. Amen? So we're going to share a, a word called what a blessing. But what we're going to do today is we were given four topics, and in these four topics, we're going we're gonna to speak on these four topics briefly, and somehow the way that the Spirit of the Lord does it, at the end, He's going to unite it all together, and we're just going to trust the Lord in how He does this, and we felt that the best way of doing this is not that you only hear from me, but that you also hear from some other brothers that are part of this family. So we're going to speak on what a blessing, and we're going to talk about the blessing of restoration. Amen? Amen. The blessing of joy. Eh. The blessing of perseverance. And the blessing of identity. Oh, you guys need some coffee today. What a blessing. Shake the person next to you and say, what a blessing. And as you shake them, I'm going to call the first person up. Our brother Gerson is going to go ahead and share... The blessing of restoration. Everyone say, go Gerson, go Gerson, go. Good morning, church. Um, hope everybody's doing good. I know I am. So just a heads up, I pace a little bit, and that's because I can't process my thoughts standing still, and I cannot sit down and read. It's a struggle I have, all right? So... I'm going to be reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. (laughs) It goes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So, if you take a look at the world... It's not going to take long before you notice that sin is everywhere. It permeates every single part of our life, right? Even the things that we think are good are sinful in some sense, in the weirdest way. There's illnesses. There's perverse, wicked people. There's death, not just accidental, but intentional death. There's suffering. There's illness. There's uh, pain, angst, hate. Wars, depression, and I could be here all day just naming the different things we see, right? So it's not a surprise that the world is hurting, right? If we're honest with each other, it is hurting. And it's also no secret that we pray for a miracle because of these things, right? Um, Some people get offended when the first reaction of ours is to pray because of a world tragedy or even a tragedy in our personal lives. But the reason why we do that is because we know that God is good. It reminds us of his goodness, right? And it reminds us of his faithfulness to us. So if you've ever experienced a miracle, then you know that it's amazing. It's an amazing thing because we see a glimpse of God's power, and we also see, in a sense, our prayers coming to fruition. 
right? These are things that sometimes we spend months uh, here at church. We're praying for some of you, and we hope that we see something come out of this, right? So, but we long for these miracles, too, because we have, a, in a sense, we want that renewal, right? There, there's something about this world that we know is wrong, and we want a fix. We want something to be fixed, right? And if you look throughout Scripture, there's miracles at every corner. There's the splitting of the sea, raising people from the dead. There's giving sight to the blind, feeding the multiple of people. And if you go on YouTube, I guarantee you're going to find an infinite amount of testimonies. I bet we could even call some of you up here, and you guys can give a good account on that, right? But I do have a question for you, and I want you guys to think about this uh, deeply, as deeply as possible. And what if the person who's been praying for a child doesn't receive it, right? I mean, the doctors have probably told them it's impossible at this point. Or the person who's been praying for a spouse and everyone else is getting married, right? We also have people who are praying for healing, and it's been years now, and they're still sick, right? What do we say to that, right? How do we faithfully sing how great is our God, honestly, right? It's painful. And we've been praying like we did now over people's lives, praying the name of Jesus, the power of God, and we've been praying all of these things, the promises of the Lord, and nothing, right? What do we do then, right? And when Pastor texted me this week to speak on restoration, it's not necessarily a word that's been on my heart, but the theme has continuously been on my mind, right? Because I do think that as Christians, we tend to forget what miracles really are, right? Uh, we forget that they're a shadow of what God does to the broken or a mirror of things to come. And instead, we see them as the fulfillment of his promises. And honestly, that can't be any further from the truth. Right? When we look at what God does for us, we're seeing this as the object of his promises to us. And we sing here and we talk about God being an eternal God, yet we want a what? A promise for the now. And then he's faithful, then he's true, then he's real. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I need to catch myself too, right? Because I do pray for some of you, and it's upsetting when you don't see the result, right? I need to be reminded of this truth that in my son, he's not the source of my joy, my peace, and my rest. Because just as the Lord gives, he takes. And the same happens with my marriage. He gives, and he'll take that too. And when I think about healing, it's not long if you've lived in this world long enough to know that you will get sick and you will get hurt again. So then you start to realize that there's no way that a God of eternity and a God of faithfulness is promising us things that don't last. There's no way, right? And it isn't, I'm not saying this to discourage you from praying, right? Because uh, I know you might be thinking, all right, what was the point of praying, right? If, if, if maybe it might not happen, I encourage you to pray because the Lord tells us to, and not just tell us to, he promised to hear us in it, right? We have this misconception that if God is not listening or answering my prayers at this moment, he's not here or he's abandoned me, but he's hidden. He's, he's not absent, he's hidden. We can't see him and we don't really understand a lot what he's doing, right? And we have to also remember that when it rains, it doesn't rain just on the unjust, but on the just, right? It's something that happens to all of us. And when a miracle, a miracle occurs to some people, as we call it, like undeserving people, we shouldn't be upset, right? Because as Christians, we know we are those undeserving people. If anything, more undeserving than the unbeliever because we've received with faith what we don't deserve, right? And we need to find and remind ourselves that there is joy in a restoration that he has promised. And that's the new heavens 
and the new earth, right? This is where we will be comforted not only by the absence of evil, but by the presence of good, right? This is where we won't cry anymore. We won't mourn. We won't see death any longer. We won't suffer. We won't experience pain, right? And I'm not trying to also take lightly some of the issues that we deal with, right? Because some of us are really going through some pain. Some of us are actually mourning someone, and some of us are desiring things that it just fills us with joy. But the truth is, those are not the things that God has promised us. It's it's hurtful to hear that, right? Because how else can God be real if we're not seeing it, right? These promises are not coming true, then there's no testimony to his greatness. And you mean to tell me that I need to breathe my last breath to see this? It doesn't make any sense, right? And you're going to have people tell you that doesn't make any sense because it doesn't. That's the truth, right? So you got to remember that God doesn't only forgive us our sins and then just leaves us out to the wolves, right? He promises salvation from all things, right? We tend to talk about forgiveness for the sinner, but we forget that there's a restoration that comes afterward. There's more to salvation than just being forgiven. There's also the restoration and the bringing of his kingdom. This is the good news that we consistently preach, there's something more than this, right? And we can't, we can't want the things of this world because what awaits for us is something greater than a miracle. It's something that not just the unbeliever, or put it this way, I'm sorry, it's not something that the unbeliever will experience, but it's something reserved for us, the children of God, something for you. And... As I wrap this up, I want to just mention that, you know, for the new year, it's a tradition to uh, set goals and kind of think of something and think back of the 2023 goals that you failed at and you should probably pick up next year, right? Um, But I want you guys to think about something, and it's remind yourself of the true promises of God, right? That he came for you, died for your sins, and one day he will come back to take you with him. So I want to wrap up by reading the la- uh, these same verses again, really. But I want you guys to read it with the perception, not that they're just some random verses found in the book of Revelation, not just something John spoke to us, not just the prophecy, but for what they really are, and it's the promises made to you. So, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. That's Emmanuel. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's not what I'm telling you that's real or honest. I'm not speaking anything that no one else would tell you. It's those last words. These words are trustworthy and true. So if some miracle or prayer seems unanswered, these words are trustworthy and true, that he will bring forth a kingdom that is prepared for you specifically. Amen. 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 And then, oh, thank you. (laughs) And then uh, to continue this about the blessing, the message, we're going to have Josue speak on joy. Thank you, Gerson, for that. Um, So I'm really nervous. But um, to continue on joy, I'd like to say, like, what is joy? What is joy to each and every one of us? You know, um, we live in a world that is telling us, oh, you know, you're happy ever after. Oh, 
seek your happiness, seek your happiness. And to tell you the truth, that is something that doesn't last. Happiness is something that comes through your circumstances. Oh, you have a job. Oh, you have a car. Oh, you have a home. Oh, you have health. You're happy. But the truth of the matter is that joy is something much, much deeper. Like some of the points that Gerson made, even in your sickness, even in your unemployment, even in your, you know, unhomeness, <laughs> homelessness, um, there is joy. There is something deeper within telling you there's so much better for us. And this isn't the end of the story, right? So, and that all ties into the restoration. This isn't the end. There's more to come. Um, but the first thing is, what is joy? Well, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? And we have in Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You know? And here we see it's something much, much deeper. It's a fruit. It's something that comes only when you are tied to the tree, to the vine. Um, James 1, 1, 2 to 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So with your trials, with your whatever you're going through, your, uh, you know, your, your lack of health, your unemployment, your homelessness, just know that that is a trial um, to produce in you something more. Um, sometimes, you know, with my wife, I, you know, she'll, be, she'll ask, but why me? And my response is usually, why not you? Um, because maybe we are meant to go through something to help someone else who will go through the same thing but worse, you know? So if you're going through something, you know, and we don't like to hear it. We don't like to hear, oh, but, you know, uh, you know God is, oh, because you can handle it. Oh, but it's like, I don't want to handle it, <laughs> right? It sucks. <laughs> but God is telling you, you can, and I've prepared you. All these little other trials that you've had that you're like, oh, those were inconsequential, have built up this thing in you to help you go through this next one, you know? So um, 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So within everything, even in your poorness, you're making others rich with just your spirit, just the way you are, just being joyful in everything. Um, and helping others, you know, and I, and I, and as I was researching this, you see a lot of, oh, you know, look at the, the poor kids in, in Africa and Central America, and you always see these joyful smiles, and you're like, oh, but, or even, you know, I, I work in a hospital where there's just all types of people. You got really rich people, and you got people who, the cleaners of the hospital, and they don't make as much, but you see them surviving. You see them happy. And it doesn't matter where you are in the social ladder. It doesn't matter where you are. As long as you're connected to Christ, the joy comes. And like I said, always connected to Christ. In John 15, if you read it, I'm only going to read one verse, which is John 15, 11, And it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy be in you, and that your joy may be full. So right before that, he's telling you, always abide in me you know um i fix computers so i think of things in those terms so imagine being connected to the wireless but no internet wow <laughs> you know <laughs> joy is that internet right when you're connected to the internet you can do whatever you can go online so you have to be connected to to god he is your ISP, your, your internet provider, <laughs> your joy provider. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, be connected to him. In Nehemiah 8.10, it says, Then he said to them, Go away, eat, and eat the fat, and drink the, 
to sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for the stay is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember to always choose joy because at the end of the day, it is a choice. We make the choice in all our circumstances to say, I will be joyful or I will be sad. I will be bitter. I'll be angry. You have that choice in every single one of your circumstances to say, I choose joy. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Stick close to the Lord. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And Psalm 16, 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So stick close to the Lord in every single one of your circumstances, and you will have joy. Um, and that's not to say that you can't be angry, you can't be sad. But recognize that in all of that, choose joy. Stick to him. And that choice will always be easy. As long as you're with him, as long as you're connected to your internet provider, every joy will always be there. So with that, we go to our next fruit of the spirit, perseverance. And that is Rudy. Pastor's trying to trip me up. <laughs> Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you, Josue. Um, it's, it's huge to be up here. It's, it's always an honor. It's always a blessing to be up here. And um, my wife tells me, so I'm going to take a breather and try to take it slow. But thank you guys again for, for allowing us to speak to you. And today's um, word for is perseverance. And the word tra- um, perseverance is translated from the Greek of hypomenon. And it means the power to withstand hardships or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary to endure. Another definition has it as a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. And the Bible talks about perseverance in James chapter 1, and it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, that whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking of anything. And something we really don't want to hear, we would count it as an opportunity for great joy when trouble comes. And if we're honest, who likes difficult times? Let me see your raise of hands. No one, right? Um, I certainly don't. But the Bible teaches us that the testing of our faith produces the power and inner stamina to patiently endure hardship and persecution and grow into spiritual maturity. And that's a tough one. When we're going through the trials and tribulations, do we raise up our hands and say, thank you, Lord, for this? Let's be honest with ourselves. I certainly don't. And 1 Peter 4.13, it says, But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When I read that verse, it's an honor because as much as Christ died for us, we are put in that position in our lives to be like Christ. Christ said that when we come to this gospel, it wasn't going to be all sunshine and rainbows. And I get that quote from, uh, from one of my favorite movies, Rocky Balboa, part six, as he's speaking to his son and he's telling him, life is not all sunshine and rainbows, rainbow. Life is going to hit you hard and nothing like else is life is going to hit you hard. But in Christ, and this is now gospel, <laughs> not Rocky, but in Christ, uh, we have the power to overcome these challenges. It is one thing to wave the banner of Christ when everything is going well. It's very easy when, when everything is going well. When your marriage is at its peak, when your career is flourishing, when your family is at peace, when your health is better than ever. But how do we react when it falls apart and when our hearts are broken and our dreams are shattered? Ask yourself that. In my home, many of you know that my wife has been dealing with health issues for the last three and a half years. 
And, and to this day, we still don't have a definitive answer of what's going on with her body. And we are getting to a point that we may just have to be okay with this because we don't have an exact end date for her healing. But I'm glad that Gerson shared up here talking about that. If we recognize that we live in this earth, although there may be healing, maybe later on, later on in life, there may be another sickness that we have to endure. But we recognize that in Revelations 21, like Gerson, and I'm just stealing from these guys now. Uh, we recognize in Revelations 21 where it says that he will wipe away, from every, wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. And so the Lord reminds us that the, that the testing of our faith produces life. That perseverance does not depend solely on our efforts. That as followers of Christ, the Spirit of God is at work in us, giving us the power and strength to persevere. In Hebrews 13, 21, it says, He will equip you with everything good for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. To persevere is to make it to the end. Let's remember that this is a race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I'll say that again. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Let's endure and keep enduring and make it to the end. So my encouragement for you guys in 2024 is to stay on the narrow path through its trials and tribulations, as in the, as in the end we read in James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Thank you, guys. Amen. What a blessing to hear from some of our brothers. Amen. What a blessing. The blessing of restoration, the blessing of joy, the blessing of you know, I was hoping that somehow, without us planning it, putting these topics out there, that the Lord would find a way to bring it all together. You know, um, I've walked with the Lord to see how he takes the platform and he does exactly what he needs to do. And um, some things we need to be thoughtful and organized and we do we have to plan things out but there's some things that only God can do and I hope that those three men just saw and are seen in that gift that they just deposited to the church how the Lord with three different topics has bring, is bringing it together and he's speaking the same thing without us ever sitting down saying you got to hit these points it's because God is speaking to his people it's a beautiful thing, and it always wows me of how perfect God is. I have the privilege to speak to you about the blessing of identity, and I'm going to wrap it up with that one as we've taken a few minutes here, and we've spoken on some important topics under this title, What a Blessing. But as we end this year and as we enter 2024, I want these topics to really serve as a reminder and as of great importance to you. I think that these topics are going to be very important for us to move forward. And I want to share in these few minutes um, on this topic that's been assigned to me by the Lord. And it deals with identity, the blessing of identity. You've ever struggled with your identity? Yes. I have. I'm going to be very honest with you. I know what it is to be a hypocrite. Because I've been a hypocrite. And my reason for my hypocrisy is because I struggle with identity. You know what I'm saying. You're one way in front of one group, but then you're a whole other way with another group. You are a hypocrite. I am. So I want to encourage you today. Because I know exactly what it means. One of my favorite people in history is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German. Do you love Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Oh, I read all his stuff. He's amazing. 
Lutheran pastor who was a theologian, pastor. He was so much, but he was also at the end of his life, the last two years, the Nazis put him in prison. Uh, and uh, eventually they executed him and they killed him. But in prison, he would write many letters and he would write some to his parents and to his friends and to his fiance. And one of the poems that he wrote is titled Dealing with Identity. Check this out. Who am I? A question that all of us ask ourselves. Who am I? I've gone to bed and I've put my head on my pillow and I've asked myself, who really? Who am I? He says this, who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as thought it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for for neighborliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others? And before myself, a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army? Fleeing in disorder from victory, already achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Great words from Mr. Bonhoeffer. A man who was stripped away from his fiance, from his parents. I'm actually reading a book right now called The Letters. Letters from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from prison. It's amazing. It's wrecking my heart. Stripped from his fiance, from his parents, from his friends, from students that he discipled and loved and did life with. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, whose brother and brother-in-law were both taken by the Nazis as well and eventually would be executed by Nazis in a camp a few months after Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer suffered And he was questioning. He was was thoughtful of his condition as it challenged his identity. And it led him to ask himself, who am I? And he ends with the truest of reminders. He says, whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. I believe one of the greatest things that you can do for your life as you enter this new year is to find your identity which is only found in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you one story, and I'll wrap it up. And it's one specific moment of his life, and it's none other than Abraham. I want to talk to you quickly about Abraham. Abraham spoke to God. God spoke to Abraham. And they were intimate. They were an intimate picture of creation and creator, of beloved walking together on this earth. Abraham trusts God, and in Scripture we see that Abraham had faith, and he was actually known, as Scripture teaches us, as the father of faith. But then we see that there's a point in his life where the Lord calls him, and he leaves. He he left everything that he knew. He left his father's land. Scripture says, to a land that the Lord was promising and showing him, though he had not seen it with his eyes yet, he left for it. He made his way unto it. Without knowing exactly what it was. Taking the word of the Lord as serious as he can. Though Abraham was a man of faith and so many other good things. In scripture we see that Abraham struggled. 
A man with many struggles. If you read about him in Genesis, you'll see him make not only some wise decisions, because he does, but you'll see Abraham make some foolish decisions as well. Very foolish ones. Some that could have been of great danger for him and his family, risking his very own life. He was a great man. He was a great man. But that's all he was. He was just a man. He was just a man, just like you're just a man. He was. And he had to be reminded time and time again from the Lord, I'm going to do something great. Just remember who I called you to be. Is that for anyone here? And we see one example of this in Genesis 17. 13 years after having Ishmael with Hagar. He goes from years to years of hearing what the Lord was going to promise him and all these promises of God over his life. We now read this one encounter that I want to share with you today. Check this out. Genesis 17 verse 1 says, When Abraham was 99 years old. Everyone say 99. Yeah. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. When I read that, I'm like, I don't know if that's cool. But God's like, but you're not me. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And he says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That's your calling. That's your calling. Walk, walk. Before me and be blameless. I am God Almighty. You're just Abraham. (laughs) You did great things. You left the house. You're walking in faith. But you're just Abraham. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and that I may multiply you greatly. Abraham does what a man should do before the Almighty God. Want to take a guess? Verse 3. Abraham fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, man. You, Abraham. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. And I love this. He's going to change his name from Abram to Abraham. No longer shall your name be Abram. Do you guys see identity here? Everything that you once identified yourself with, everything that you stood upon, no longer shall you be called that. But your name shall be Abraham. I am making you now what the New Testament says, a new creation. Your identity now is found in who I called you, not in who you are and who you've been. Now you're Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offering after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. Verse 8, and I will give you and your offspring after you, the land of your, so- of your sornings, sorning, traveling, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Are you guys catching this? Let's start from the beginning. Genesis 17, verse 1. Let's be honest. Abraham is old. If he was here, I would respect him, and I wouldn't say that in his face. But he's old. And not only is he old, come on, wouldn't it be, as the Lord appears to him at 99, wouldn't he be weaker at this time of his life? Can you imagine the Lord at your weakest moment of your life, the weakest moment of your life says to you, I am going to make you a mighty nation and kings are going to come out of you. And you're looking at the Lord and you're saying, how? I'm the weakest I've ever been. And he says, perfect. Because in your weakness is where I show off my strength. It's insane that the Lord does these things. His calendar, his clock, his watch, it ticks different than ours. His calendar is different than ours. Does not the prophet tell us that his ways are higher? 
His thoughts are greater. He comes to Abraham at 99 years old. You and I, if we would have written the script, we would have grabbed Abraham at his prime, his 20s, wouldn't we? But God says, no, at his prime, here it is, 99. Because we're not the author. We're not the writers. God is the author. He is the, the author and the finisher of our faith, Scripture says. Yes? He would be weak at this time. Look at Abraham's life closely, please, when you get home. This is the things that Abraham could have said. I've done all of this, Lord. You know how many people I've sat with? Um, I'm going to be very honest with you. Sorry if I offend any of you. But you know how many times I've looked at the mirror and I've said this? I've done all of this. I've been faithful in all these things. And yet, Lord, you have not done. <laughs> Anyone with me? You've looked at the mirror? And you've challenged the Lord. You've wrestled with God. Abraham could have said this. I've done all this. I've been faithful in all this. And yet at my old age, still, still, I don't see what the Lord has said would become. I don't see it. My question was, as I wrote this, was this. Does this sound like us? Because if it does, I want to be very, very truthful with you. This can destroy your identity. Because what happens from this point is this, you start complaining, you start comparing, you start growing jealous, you start growing in anger. Listen to this, and you start doing things in your own strength, and you begin to trust in your own ability because the Lord, because the Lord is being patient and because he's on his clock. And you don't like his clock, and you don't like his patience, but God is doing a greater work even though you're looking at the mirror and you are frustrated with yourself. I'm just preaching to myself today. And he comes to you and he comes to me and he comes to us and he says this, ready? When Abraham was 99 years old, he appeared. And he says, Regal, I'm just waiting for you to get to your 90s. And if he says that to me, then I have to be okay with it. Because it's his clock. It's his timing. And it's not even for me. It's for the generations that come. You need to know your identity. Your identity will affect the generation that follows you. Verse 5, no longer shall you remember, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Your identity, the Lord is saying, is in me and in who I am and in what I will do. Did you notice the, the words that the Lord uses? He says things like this to Abraham. I make you, twice he said it, I make you, I make you, I will establish you, I will give you. I, 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 I do this, Abraham. I make it, I establish, I do it. Because Abraham was probably 99 saying, maybe he got to a point where he said, I'm just going to do this on my own. Abraham, 13 years ago, you treaded on your own and you got Hagar pregnant. Don't do it again. So he learned from 13 years ago. He learned. 99 minus 13 is what, 86? When I was 86 years old, I did not know my identity, and I messed things up between me and my wife, and I messed things up with the promise that God was going to promise me, and I went outside of what God was calling me to in my own strength and my own ability, and I got the maidservant, I grabbed Hagar, and I got her pregnant, and have, now I have Ishmael, and all of this is because I did not pause and just trust in the Lord. But now I'm 99, and I've grown in these last 13 years. Because every day I see Ishmael, he's my reminder. He's my reminder. He's my blessing, but he's also my reminder that from this day forward, I have to be rooted in Christ. My identity is found in him. 
Because when I walked outside of that identity, look what I created. Another nation. Did you know that? I created another nation. When the Lord called me to create a nation, now, because of my stubbornness and my lack of identity, I created multiple nations. And study those nations today. Study those nations today. And see how those nations are doing. Because Abraham lost his identity. All right, I'm going to close. Ready? I will make you, I will make you, I will establish, I will give you. Your identity can be in, we need to learn this. It cannot be in what you have or what you don't have. I hope this is for someone today. Because what happens if, and I love that everything, all this was said. Everything that I'm saying today was already said by Rudy, by Josue, and by Gerson. Ready? Because what happens if it's all taken away from you? If your identity is in what you have or don't have, do you know what I mean by don't have? That's the person that's still crying for things that they don't have, thinking that they're going to be their truest self once they receive those things. And then they receive those things, and they recognize they still haven't found themselves. I'm only speaking of myself. It can't be in what you have or don't have. Because if it's all taken away from you, didn't Gerson say that? And then Josue came back and he said it? It's very easy that then those things become gods in your life. And when it's removed from you, here's the question of all questions. Will you still stand in who you are in Christ Jesus? What God says about us, it's all found in his word and we've all read it today. Everyone read scriptures today from these three gentlemen. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says we're a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says we are now righteous. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says now we're healed. In 2 Corinthians 8.9, it says now we've been mid-made rich in him. In Ephesians 1.6, it says now we've been accepted in Christ. And in Romans 6.20-22, through 22, it says now we are free from our sin. All these scriptures, just just a few, is your identity, is to remain in him, on what he's spoken over us, on who he is, and what what he's already done for you. There's a blessing in your restoration. There's a blessing in your joy. There's a blessing in your perseverance. And I'm telling you today, there's a blessing in identity. So I end the way I started, the words of Bonhoeffer. Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others? And myself, a contemptible, woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest God. I am thine. Church, know your identity. Be rooted in your identity in Christ. Know that the Lord restores you. Find blessing in that. Know that there is joy. Find blessing in that. And you keep going. You keep persevering. Because trust me. Remember how Gerson started? Remember Revelation 21? There's a blessing in perseverance because then there's a blessing in our eternal restoration. But it's made for those that overcome. If you're not an overcomer, the kingdom is not yours. The kingdom belongs to overcomers. Find your identity. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this last Sunday of 2023 what a year it's been I've had great success but Lord I've also had great defeats 
This year I've experienced mountaintops, but I've also experienced valleys. But Lord, I thank you for this room because we're here today and you are with us and you hold us and you keep us. And Lord, what a blessing it's been with the highs and the lows. What a blessing this year has been with all the lessons you've taught us and are teaching us. What a blessing. And Lord, we just want to take a moment and we want to pray into 2024. We pray that 2024 would be a mighty, precious, holy year. A year that we would be rooted. A year of great intimacy. A year of great victory. A year of great growth. A year that foolishness is put behind us. A year, Lord God, that we are united, not divided. A year, Lord God, of the riches of heaven poured upon your sons and daughters on earth. Let 2024 be a mighty year of blessing. Lord, we love you. I thank you for Gerson, Josue, Rudy, for these words that we all shared today. May they be great and of great importance moving into the next year. We give you, Lord, all the glory and all the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say, amen. Come on, can you give God some praise? Can you stand with me? Can you maybe hug someone there and say, have a great new year, end of the new year. Let's have an amazing new year. Let 2024 be the best year of your life. Though you'll have lows, though you'll have highs, may it be a wonderful year. Come on, may you be rooted in joy, rooted in Christ. Find restoration. Come on, give each other some love. You are loved.